episode of the Roost Podcast. This is Matthew Bartlett here, Managing Editor and Director of the Roost. I am flying solo tonight. Carter can't be with us, but should be back in the saddle next week. So uh, it won't be just me. We do have another interview coming up. It'll be uh, this time representing Louisiana Tech and their contingent will be Ben Carlisle of Bleed Tech Blue. So we'll have an interview coming up with him, kind of the same song and dance that we've had with several folks up to this point kind of get the uh, the inside scoop on what's going on with the bulldogs what their spring or lack thereof was like and you know kind of expectations coming into this football season so uh stay tuned you're going to want to enjoy that and uh, a couple of housekeeping things that we'll get to off the top first uh, as always if you could please rate review and subscribe the podcast that helps a lot we have a a little bonus incentive for those who are listening this week, we have the coming launch of the Roost Season Preview. For We'll have the Rice Football Edition out and the Conference USA Preview out. Both of those are going to be out on July 7th for purchase. If you would like to be entered to win one of those for free of your choice, go ahead and leave us a five-star review with a comment telling us what you enjoy uh, about the show pretty pretty broad but all we need to see is go pop that on itunes or wherever you're at and uh and uh, put in five stars and name and we will we'll pick one of those out and uh, maybe read it on the show next week and uh, you'll get you a free copy of the preview so that is all you have to do and this is the only place that we're doing it so only podcast listeners are going to get this little perk so we'd appreciate you do that it'll help us it'll help you you'll get some new reading material and on that note, when we're talking about the preview, we did have our launch of the Patreon page for the Roost this week. And I want to say thank you again from the, the bottom of my heart. I was really blown away. I know it's a, a kind of a, a difficult time in the world right now. And uh, I'm just I'm really humbled that y'all are this invested in the Roost and you want good quality uh, content on, on Rice Sports and, and Conference USA, and so I'm here to give it to you. And as a special th- special shout out, I want to say thanks to our all American Patreon tier subscribers. That's Paul Doyle, J.C. Neal, Clinton, Stephen Morse, and Cindy Steege. Thank you, you four in particular, for for your contributions and going above and beyond to help us get this going and keep us running in the right direction. So thank you so much. So want to hit those things. Want to hit the 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 preview of the Patreon, and remember that'll be July 7th. You'll be able to purchase that. It's going to go up. If you're a, a Louisiana Tech fan that's listening to this, I uh, encourage you. I was able to get help from Ben putting this together, so it's not some pie in the sky, me, me throwing darts. It's me talking with people in the know who cover these teams on a daily basis. And so I, I got Ben to help me with Louisiana Tech, and I had uh, several folks uh, that cover the beat you know, day in and day out on, on all these teams in Conference USA. So you're going to get a, a good insight from a, a publication that's on the ground. It's going to be digital. The uh, Conference USA preview is going to be five bucks. It's going to be easy, and you will have it uh, with you for whatever the season throws at us, which is going to have some twists and turns, uh, certainly. So on the Rice side, moving on to some news, I don't think we mentioned this in the previous podcast, but uh, just in case we did not, the practice bubble, the uh, Waltrip indoor facility, uh, has been inflated on South Main, and uh, I saw some 
some some pictures of folks walking around inside. I was able to actually drive up by the the stadium and kind of take some pictures. I put those up on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And if you're not following us there, it's uh, at the roost in in both spots. So go ahead and do. We'll have some nuggets and interesting pictures there, bubble pictures, if nothing else. So that was that was pretty cool. It's going to be neat to have that facility. Uh, available. I I don't remember how many times in in the first in Bloomgren's first year on campus it felt like it rained all fall, and so the players had to all get up, get in a bus, bus over to the Texans practice bubble, do practice, and bus back. And it was just kind of a hassle. Having this on campus is going to be huge, and it's a, another piece that we can show recruits. And the more you can do to bring talent into your program, the better. So. That is exciting, and that's going to be a huge win. And then on the, we still don't have our little little ditty, but on the coronavirus COVID-19 front, we have some news there as well. And that actually comes out of the Ivy League. So the Ivy League released a statement this week, and it's pretty short, so I'm just going to, to read it as is says, with return to campus protocols still being developed and introduced by Ivy League institutions, the Council of Ivy League Presidents intends to announce a final decision regarding the status of intercollegiate athletic activity for the fall term 2020 on July 8th, which essentially means where they are not reached a decision or at least announced the decision on on what football is going to look like in the Ivy League this year. There was actually reports and and some notes that came out the week prior last weekend that they were considering a a truncated spring season that could have uh, six or seven games just among Ivy League teams. And, you know, if this were just anybody, it might not be as notable. But if we think all the way back to March when the uh, pandemic first hit, it was the Ivy League that canceled their basketball tournament outright before anybody else did. And everyone said, that's crazy. And lo and behold, everybody else followed. And then the Ivy League actually canceled their entire spring athletic calendar before anybody else did. And we all said that that's crazy. And then everybody else did. So I I have no insight onto what the Ivy League is going to do for football this fall. But it would be particularly notable to see, you know, what what decision they make and we'll be following it. I, I think it was very prudent. I talked to uh, Rice Athletic Director Joe Carlgard uh, a couple weeks ago, and he essentially said that the kind of the framework they're, that they're using to make these decisions is gathering the best information that they can possibly get at the time and waiting till they need to make the decision and making the decision. If there's a decision on games that are happening in, in August, you know, I, I don't know what the drop dead make a decision point is, but July 1st, right now you have athletes that are slowly trickling back onto campus. And you're probably getting to the point where you'll have to make a decision soon, but I, I don't know quite yet if it's this week. I, I, I certainly don't think you'll see anything from definitely the power conferences. They will hold this out as long as possible. But I, I think most folks are going to be more more cautious. The Ivies uh, were certainly on the forefront on the, the first kind of waves of shutting things down. So 
it's worth following if they do decide to say we're not playing football this fall. It's it's going to make it interesting for the rest of the country. It certainly doesn't mean that the rest of the country can't play, um, especially when you're talking about you know big TV contracts. No offense to to you know Harvard and, and Yale. That's not not why people are, are tuning in to uh, those establishments is to go see them on a on a Saturday night in a in a rocking stadium. But uh, you know, it's it's not the SEC, it's not the Big Ten, it's it's not the the Big Twelve. So it's certainly possible for the Ivies to cancel and for everybody else or most folks to keep going as as normal ish. But what do we know? That's just kind of passing along the news, and and stay tuned next week. We'll have some updates on that as well. So all we have on the. Uh, the COVID-19 front and all that we have on the notes front. So uh, thank you so much for staying by and getting through that with us. And now we want to go ahead and kick it off to our interview. So here we go. All right. And welcome in. We have Ben Carlisle from Bleed Tech Blue. He is here to tell us everything we need to know about Louisiana Tech football, assuming, well, actually, whether or not there is football in the fall, we will still talk about it expectedly like it's going to happen is that right <laughs> that's absolutely correct we're, we're all hoping for it to be here sometime in the near future and then uh, i i assume as, as as normal as normal can be how, how do you how are you uh, passing the time in your uh what are we on week 47 of of quarantine lockdown without sports yeah i think we're just i think we're all pretty much in the same boat just kind of Checking our Twitters about 500 times a day, seeing what sports leagues might come back, uh, praying that college football is back this fall, and you know, trying to kind of work our jobs from home on the side. But really, we're just all in that same boat of hoping that sports come back uh, in the very near future, like I mentioned. Have you? So I and and I'll be honest, I've always been kind of you know football, baseball, basketball. Maybe you flirt into into hockey, but. Uh, kind of the the mainstream sports. I, I haven't picked up NASCAR or uh, UCF or uh, I guess uh, Aussie Rule f- Football, Taiwan Baseball. Have Have you found any of the uh, the uh, I guess not fringe sports, but uh, replacement to the to the Big Four that you've kind of followed along in the meantime? Yeah, not not really. I, I think you know once or twice a week I'll, I'll turn on the the shot where I think was the Korean Baseball League. I'll turn it on for a few innings, but I've just never been really able to get into it. I've watched golf in the last couple of weekends, you know, here and there, the TV zone, I'll put it that way. And then I guess from this point, we'll just kind of hover over to, I mean, I'm sure your takes on the Korean Baseball League are fantastic, but we'll <laughs> rush you on to uh, to talk about just kind of Louisiana Tech football. And, I, you know, we're all with the asterisk of the COVID-19 situation and, and no one really has a, a clear, as clear of a picture as we would want to at this point, but kind of if you had your, uh, you know, your elevator pitch of, you know, where is the, uh, the program at right now heading into this season, uh, assuming we're going to play it is a, a optimistic tone. Is this the year or, or how, how are fans kind of feeling about the Bulldogs right now? Yeah, I think obviously, you know, you look at what this program has become under Skip Holtz's leadership, uh, winning six straight bowl games, you know, finally getting over that hump a season ago and winning 10 games uh, for the first time since 1984. I would say that there's a lot of optimism, you know, within the Tech fan base, but there also comes 
some question marks, especially when you look at this 2020 team. You know, is Luke Anthony, the grad transfer from Abilene Christian, uh, going to be the answer at quarterback, or will it be redshirt sophomore Aaron Allen? Uh, really, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, that's the big question mark with so many skill, talented skill players returning. And then, you know, on the other side of the defense, obviously you lose Bob Diaco, the defensive coordinator, to Purdue. You replace him with David Blackwell, who spent a year at ODU in 2019. He comes in, scheme's going to stay the same, but you don't have spring practice. Some of the terminology is going to be a little bit different, although they're trying to keep some of the call it the same. I know it's not going to be uh, as fluid as you would like to you know, believe it's going to be when you're just sitting there talking about it, but it's going to be a lot of the same scheme. You're replacing nine starters, but I would say at some point you have to say, are you replacing nine starters with guys who haven't played? That's not the case with this defense. There's six or seven guys that have played a good amount of football in their career. So you look at this 2020 season, I would say Tech fans are extremely optimistic. And if the quarterback plays, uh, you know, as as good as it was a season ago, uh, I think Tech's going to be right back in the mix again in 2020. And then you mentioned the the lack of spring. I know kind of programs were across the board, really, in, in Conference USA. Some got in. I know Rice got nine. Some folks, I, I think, got maybe a little bit more than that. Did, did Tech get any spring ball in at all? No. Yeah, Tech did not get in one practice. They were scheduled to start. I believe the Conference USA basketball tournament uh, was called off on a Thursday, and Tech was That's scheduled right. to start spring practice the next day on Friday. So, you know, they, they had a number of those guys, like Luke Anthony, I mentioned, the grad transfer from Abilene Christian. He was in for spring practice, and, and that was going to be, you know, not only a, a thing for Tech fans to get some excitement about and get an opportunity to see him, but it was going to be a tremendous chance for him to learn the offense in those 15 practices that you get in the spring. And that's something that is going to be a thing to watch for this fall is does those lack of practices hurt him and allow a guy like Aaron Allen, who has some experience in the offense, to kind of close that gap at the quarterback position? Yeah, that was, and that was really interesting from the Rice perspective, because, you know, for the past couple of years, that Rice hasn't had a, a, a J.M.R. Smith a, of somebody who you can trust to go out there and, and play high quality football at the quarterback position. It's kind of been a, a mix. And, and Coach Bloomgren was was really optimistic. He said, we will have the starting quarterback for Rice on campus in the spring uh, because they were returning several guys, had the grad transfer uh, and a, a JUCO transfer both coming in for the spring. And, and Fortunately, they they did get nine practice, but I think nine practices in. But that's kind of something that you know you, you you hear coaches talk about. Well, I wish this guy was here for spring, but it, it really does make more of a difference. You know, you can only study a, a virtual playbook so often, <laughs> like live reps or live reps. Well, yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and not only you know are live reps live reps, but it also gives you a chance to get back in the film room and kind of discuss some things that you saw on certain plays and you know they they can hold all the zoom meetings that they want to hold but at the same point it's not the same as person-to-person interaction like you're talking about with live bullets flying and and guys really being able to get after and have a healthy quarterback competition and you know you look at I mentioned the success that Tech has had under Holtz and really this is the first time since I would say back in 2014 uh, when Cody Sokol transferred in from Iowa, that Tech's had some questions about the quarterback position as to who would be the guy. And so that's, like I said, it's something that 
I don't know if it's unnerving, but it's something that certainly creates some question marks uh, around this roster. And then, I mean, you know, it's it's July now. July now, I guess, you know, theoretically we'd be getting close to, to fall camp starting up in, in a couple weeks. But uh, at least on your, your read on the situation, yeah, you mentioned the uh, um, Allen who had already been on campus you know, what's kind of your read on the situation so far? Uh, Luke Anthony was was good at, at ACU. I, I don't think he's coming in as, as a world beater, but what's your kind of read? Is this going to kind of be a situation where it really is throw him into fall camp and, and see who wins it? Or uh, is there any guy that you kind of pencil in as you know, uh, more likely to be in the front? I do think that initially the first week or so will be kind of throw it into a competition and let the guy kind of rise to the top, but I'll add, I think Luke Anthony has a leg up, and you mentioned he was good at ACU, he wasn't great, I don't know uh, the quality of talent that he was surrounded with, I don't know how good it necessarily was, but there's something to speak of when you talk about him having played, you know, 2,500 collegiate snaps versus Aaron Allen having played uh, 150 or so, so that experience factor is probably something that's going to win out in the end, and you know, we've seen Jamar Smith and kind of how he progressed from 2017 to 2019. But I don't think that the Tech offense and what you're going to get from Luke Anthony are going to be the same type of tools that Jamar Smith brought with a big arm, you know, some accuracy issues, but could escape some pressure. I think Anthony's more of your prototypical, you know, pocket quarterback, Can't doesn't do a lot with his legs, an accurate guy can throw a pretty deep ball down the field. But I think really he's more of like a guy like, back in 2016 when Tech had Ryan Higgins, a guy that's going to be a good distributor of the football and allow some of these guys like a Justin Henderson or an Adrian Hardy or a Griffin Abear, a receiver, allow those guys to make plays in the passing game and really continue uh, to allow the offense to pile up first downs, which ultimately leads to you know a good number of points on the scoreboard. Yeah, and as you alluded to, the, the skill position coming back for tech this year is you know relatively good you mentioned adrian hardy and justin henderson are, are probably the, the the top two um but across the board like it's not like either of these guys whoever wins the job is going to be thrown into you know work with who you got like there's some some dudes and i think you know uh, hardy is one who who probably had a a quieter season last year than i was expecting from him i think he only had like one touchdown pass and um, he's a guy that if you have somebody that can throw it out there and let him run under it, he could, you know, probably push a, a thousand yards. Is there, is there anybody else on the receiving core that intrigues you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with Hardy. When when Hardy's at his best, he, he's the best receiver on this roster, and he's a guy that can play on Sundays at some point in the future. I think early on in the year, uh, a season ago, he saw a lot of double and triple teams early in the year. And Tech had some balance at the receiver position where they didn't necessarily have to force him the football. And all those guys returned again in 2020 outside of Malik Stanley. When you look at the other side on the outside, uh, Isaiah Graham's back for his senior year. I know statistically uh, he didn't have the biggest year a season ago, but he's a guy that can really get down the field vertically. Uh, Griffin Hebert is a, a tight end. Uh, he's faster than a tight end. He's about 6'3", 220 pounds, can really do some damage in the middle of the field. And then C.J. Powell and Smoke Harris are two smaller slot receivers 
that can certainly make an impact as well. I think Harris actually ended up leading the team in catches as a redshirt freshman a year ago. So there's a number of guys on this roster at the receiver position uh, that can hurt you on any given Saturday, which, like I said with Anthony, it's going to give him a chance to distribute the football to the guys that are open and not necessarily have to force feed guys, which in turn uh, will open up some lanes for Justin Henderson in the run game and allow the Bulldogs to really put things together on that side of the ball. Yeah, and, and Justin Henderson, he's a guy that, I mean, there's a couple guys in Conference USA that I just love to watch run, it's particularly when they're not playing Rice. But he was a guy, I think, what did he open up? I think he was third string on the depth chart entering last season behind a, a couple of guys that talented backs, and he just kind of burst through and, you know, really stole the show like what's what's his ceiling this year uh, i think that's a really good question and you mentioned him starting out last year as a third string tailback he gets the benefit of an injury israel tucker went out with mono early in the year and there he was uh tech goes on the road up to bowling green i believe it's the third week of the year and he's the starting tailback and he really uh took control of that position and ends up running for a thousand yards 15 touchdowns and obviously teams are going to focus on him more coming into 2020 and really trying to slow him down but uh, I'm just like you he's a big back he's not the fastest guy in the world uh, but he does a good job at churning out those tough yards picking up first downs Uh, can do a little bit of damage out of the backfield as a receiver and you know really the biggest area that he needs to improve to become a complete three down back uh, would be as a pass blocker but I was extremely impressed with him as a junior and Certainly did not expect him to go over a thousand yards. Yeah, and it kind of made things easy. You know, you you look at teams throughout Conference USA, and and I there's there's a handful of teams that are relatively balanced, but it seems like there's a lot of teams that that skew one way or another. And with with all the talent that Tech has had on on offense, especially you know the past couple seasons under Holtz, like this is an offense that's going to put up forty points a game and beat you that way and it's it's kind of felt like you know the defense has, has been the the tougher side of the ball that has kind of led to some issues you, you kind of mentioned earlier that losing nine starters but you have some experience uh, it's not going to really matter how much experience you have unless you have a, another a Mick Robertson just kind of sitting back there that nobody else knows about do you no absolutely <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I would agree with you. I think that, you know, you look at this this defense, particularly in the secondary the past couple of years, with Amik Robertson, with a guy like Legarius Sneed, uh, who was the fourth-round draft pick by the Chiefs. Daryl Lewis was another senior, and Michael Sam was the opposite cornerback of Robertson. And all four of those guys are gone entering 2020. And, you know, you talk about replacing nine starters on the defensive side of the ball. Really, I would say the front seven you feel pretty good about, but that secondary, uh, Zach Hannibal is a kid out of Monroe, Louisiana, just down the road from here in Ruston. Uh, is played, you know, probably three or four hundred snaps throughout his first four years on campus. But as a redshirt senior, he's really going to have to step up and kind of take control of a cornerback position and be a leader and kind of be that guy that can really shut an opposing team's best receiver down. And then outside of those guys on the opposite cornerback spot, uh, it's going to be wide open in fall camp between a couple of junior college players and Jamarian Jones, Dallas Taylor Cortez, 
uh, redshirt sophomore Broderick Calhoun that was signed out of the Dallas area a few years ago. So there's some question marks at cornerback with Hannibal and those guys. But at safety, I think Techville is pretty good. They brought in Virginia Tech uh, safety grad transfer Khalil Ladler, uh, who had played over 1,000 snaps in his career at Virginia Tech. And then opposite him will be a redshirt sophomore, B.J. Williamson, who actually uh, started five or six games a year ago. So I would say at the cornerback position, especially on the defensive side of the ball, can Tech replace Amik Robertson? I'm not sure from a talent perspective they'll be able to. They'll have to mix and match, especially early in the year, uh, before they finally, you know, before they figure out the true identity of their defense. Yeah, and for the for the most part, you know, I I think this was a defense that I would say is probably fair to say that they had some some off nights, but was was more or less pretty consistent last year. It, it wasn't. It was probably one of the the better years that we've seen from the the tech defense on the whole. Uh, would you, is that a fair assessment? No, I think that's a fair assessment. And I think that, you know, especially early on in the year, and you, I'm sure you guys remember the Rice game very well, where Rice really dominated Tech for two and a half, three quarters of that football game before Tech finally got things together, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And I think some of it had to do with Bob Diaco's scheme. They got a little bit conservative at times. But and sometimes they, they just didn't play and play well. And I think another big question mark to go along with that secondary is up front on the defensive line. Can they generate a pass rush? Because last year uh, it felt like opposing quarterbacks had all day to throw the football. And when, when you're asking your cornerbacks and safeties to cover for five or six seconds, uh, more times than not, you're not going to be very successful. So David Blackwell coming in as a new D.C. definitely has – a tremendous task on his hands. But like I said, they're not bare of talent. They got talent on that side of the ball. It just has to come together. And that's one thing where this whole COVID-19 thing comes to comes to a hedge a little bit. You lose those 15 cracks in the spring and you open up fall camp in August and you're really not sure with where you're really at. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, particularly interested because we've seen, you know, these programs across the country, um, you know, Old Old Dominion is an example in Conference USA, UTSA, that are, are starting over at head coach, and there's a lot of things changing. This would be a, a very rough time to have a, a new head coach and, and rebuild a uh, re, reshape rather a, a program, but resetting on, on a defensive coordinator. Rice has been really fortunate uh, to have Brian Smith at the helm for um, the first two seasons of Bluegrins uh, uh, era and now going into season three. I think that's something that, you know, like the casual fan maybe doesn't might not know or not care uh, specifically who is, you know, standing in the corner with the play sheets. But that's kind of something that as we get back to whatever this football season is going to look like, you know, out of the gates, you you could would not be surprised to see, you know, there be a, a, a learning curve. No, and I would agree with you and looking at it from Tech's perspective and the one thing that we've heard the coaching staff say in the few times that we've got to talk to them is they want to keep the terminology the same in transitioning from Bob Diaco to David Blackwell, especially since they're staying in that 3-4 scheme. Now, do they plan to stay with that same terminology for years to come, or is this you know, just kind of a one-off deal, deal where it's the easiest way to go about things is to be determined? But the one thing Tech does have as well is Jeff Burris, the defensive backs coach, Brian Gamble, 
who's the linebackers coach, who was previously a defensive coordinator for nine or ten years at Incarnate Word, were both with the program a year ago as well. So maybe that helps out a little bit in the transition as well. Maybe it's more David Blackwell making a transition into a, a new familiar territory, especially at first over the players, which will kind of allow the players to transition into kind of settling in in a new scheme. And then as more and further and further you get into the year, you can kind of start think, start seeing things develop on that side of the ball, you know, whether it be mixing up coverages or mixing up your blitzes or whatever it may be. But I'm just like you, being a new head coach, especially entering a year like we're about to enter, uh, would be a tremendous challenge. And then on the, the, the scheduling front for Louisiana Tech, as, as you know, the, the defense kind of, you know, replaces pieces and, and tries to get on the same page with the new CD, new DC. Uh, is it a, a welcome task to get a Southern Miss and Jack Abraham on the road? And I guess this is the week two of, of the season. I know that's uh, no love lost between these two programs. Yeah, there's definitely not a whole lot, lot of love lost between these two programs. Of course, Abraham actually started his career out at, out at Louisiana Tech. So anytime, especially the Tech fan base, gets an opportunity to kind of go up against him, and it was obviously nice to see him throw four interceptions to Ruskin a year ago. But I would think early <laughs> on it's, it's going to depend on, you know, probably Southern Miss is probably a two- or three-point favorite heading into that game with it being in Hattiesburg, but a lot of it will depend on, like I said, uh, how good is Luke Anthony at quarterback, how well does he play in week one against UNLV, and then how much better does he get from week one to week two on the road against, like you said, a quality program in Southern Miss, against, you know, Jay Hobson entering, I believe, year four, maybe year five. He's starting to probably feel a little bit of heat in Hattiesburg now that they haven't competed for a conference championship like they're used to doing so. Uh, certainly an, a fun early season matchup within the league, but a uh, tremendous challenge for Tech as well. Yeah, Hobson is at this point where I think I think we're going to coin it the, the mild seat, where he's done good enough not to be fired, but he hasn't lived up to the, you know, I feel like most programs in, in Conference USA are at the point where, like, you don't have to be in the championship game every year, but every couple of years you need to get there and compete for it, and he hasn't kind of reached that yet. And so, you know, maybe, I mean, at 10 wins a year ago with Skip Holt, he's probably, he's a little bit further off that seat uh, than others. But, you know, I, I guess last year, from your perspective, that probably almost seems like a, a one of the bigger missed opportunities of his tenure because you mentioned the, the Southern Miss game. After that game, y'all y'all beat UTEP and, and blow out North Texas, and it's kind of looking like this is Tech's conference to lose. And then the suspensions happen with, with Jamar Smith, and then all of a sudden, you know, the storybook season, you know, could have gone undefeated in conference play, goes out the window. Is, is this always oh, going to kind of be the year that you circle, like, what if? Oh, I think that that'll definitely be the case. I think Tech fans, I think, you know, we at LeadTechBlue.com, we, we talk about it. It feels like it comes up on a weekly basis. We could easily be sitting here right now talking, looking back on a 12-2, and two, possibly 13-1 and one season, uh, had not Smith and Hardy and linebacker James Jackson been suspended. But, you know, at the end of the day, Tech didn't go on the road and figure out a way to get it done at Marshall or UAB. And, Tech had a golden opportunity to pull out that win at, in Birmingham uh, late in the season a year ago. But on the opposite side of that is 
you can't really look back at it. You know, you, you accomplished some things. Obviously, Jamar ended up winning the Offensive Player of the Year award, but you have to turn your sights to 2020, and you have to figure out. I think the big thing in Tech's program right now is they, they've established that they're going to be a good program for quite some time. Now it's less about rebuilding and more about reloading, and I think that that's something that's going to be only time will tell if they can kind of string together some of these 10-win season and ultimately, like you said, get over that hump and win that first conference championship in Holtz's tenure. Which is interesting because when you when you think of Conference USA, I really feel like there's there's a handful of programs that had you know really good runs, like uh, Southern Miss ha- had that had their time, Louisiana Tech, uh, Marshall has had moments, hasn't really broken through on the on the championship level recently, but there really hasn't been anybody. You know, there's there's not a Clemson or an Alabama or a a USC that just they're always going to be good. I mean, USC is probably a yeah. bad example now, but. Um, yeah. it, it, you know, it really is kind of here for the taking. It just, I think it no, was it, actually it was at it was at uh, conference media days last year that I was in a scrum with with Coach Holtz, and he said, "Conference USA is a lot like NASCAR. Everybody has the same engine. It's just who drives it best on Saturdays." No, and I, I was I like, agree with that. "It was probably the best depiction of like the evenness of this league that I've heard from anybody so far." Well, and, you know, you look at the league as a whole with, you know, I know Tech has had a recent run of, you know, winning football for six years, but we, we've seen the FIU with Butch Davis. FAU's had a recent run with Kiffin. You mentioned Marshall. You know, Western Kentucky had some great days with Brom. You know, mm-hmm. obviously Rice had some good days, you know, a few years back when they were at the top of the league. I know North Texas was good up until last year. It's just there's so many different programs in the league. You know, we could talk about Charlotte with Will Healy. Uh, it feels like they're going to be a team to you know really reckon with in the next few years as well. So I think the league overall, you look at it top to bottom, the bottom's probably a little bit weaker than you want it to be. But I, I do think the programs like Rice, who ended the year strong, uh, Charlotte's not a team that's as weak anymore. You have to like what ODU did on the head coach front. Uh, in the offseason. So I think the league's heading in the right direction. It's just a matter of getting all these programs playing solid football at the same time instead of having so many ebbs and flows, which it seems like, you know, many of the programs deal with almost year in and year out. Yeah, and you mentioned ODU, and not to get too too far off, but uh, them landing uh, Ricky Slade, uh, Penn State transfer. I, I, I can't. Big think of maybe you can help me with this of the number of, of former five stars or five stars of you know of any service that have found their way to conference usa it's a, a pretty rare feat few and far between yeah i would certainly agree not too bad i would i would certainly welcome if any five-star running backs are listening to this <laughs> I'll, I'll split them with you we can send half of them to rice half of them to louisiana tech <laughs> sounds good that works out so you know other than you know hoping that the defense gels and the quarterback gets together. Those sound like bigger Fs, like when you say them both together out loud. Like, what is the, is there anything that you can put your finger on other than, you know, general optimism that makes you think that, you know, this could be the year that that Tech could break through? No, I would say when you look at this roster from top to bottom and you look at some of the transfers that Tech's brought in in the offseason, 
you know, whether it's filling a gap at safety or, or filling a gap at on the offensive line or filling a gap on the at nose tackle with Gerald Wilbon from Texas, I would say top to bottom, this is the most talented roster that Holtz has put together uh, during his tenure at Tech. I, I've had many fans ask me, is this a roster that Holtz is trying to put together so that he can get that 11 or 12 win season and get at, you know, try to get to that next job? I mean, that that's how kind of how the fan base views it at this point from a talent perspective. Now, that, that's not to say that there aren't question marks because they certainly are, but I would say this is a team a lot like 2015. I think the defense has a chance to kind of take a step back from what we've seen in 2017, 2018, and 2019. But on the opposite side of that, I think this offense has a real chance to be you know, whereas last year I think it was a top 30 offense, I think they got a chance to be a top 15 offense just in having a chance to review the tape on Luke Anthony and knowing some of the weapons that he has. So I think they're certainly going to be in contention. Now, can they get over that hump and defeat UAB? Can they win on the road at Southern Miss? Can you avoid, uh, I'm not going to say a hiccup, but can you play your best football, whether you're playing UTEP or whether you're playing, you know, at Marshall at home or on the road at FIU can't you know you have to be able to do it week in and week out and you can't afford those letdowns but from a pure talent perspective I think this is the best roster uh, that Holtz has had since he's been at Tech now we'll ultimately see uh, how many wins it leads to and if this team can fully gel and become you know reach their ceiling so to speak uh, but I, I'm certainly excited to see what these guys can do. Well, and I think you you mentioned hiccup, and I every every program has it to some degree. But it, it, I'm not going to say snake bitten, but it, it kind of feels like Louisiana Tech is the team that you know you flip another couple coins, and it wouldn't be crazy to, to think that Holtz has you know two conference titles no, at this point. 100%. Like they've been, you've been this close so many times. Well, I think you go back to 2016 and. You know, you look at that Tech team that ultimately lost the conference championship game at Western Kentucky. That was a team that Tech beat earlier in the year in Ruston. Tech had a golden opportunity the week prior to go on the road, and I think it was a four or five win Southern Miss team and take care of business, and Tech drops that game. And it's just things like that are what ultimately lead to you coming up short of your goals. And that's one thing that they have to focus on is finishing it out, finishing the season just like a year ago uh, where you lose two of the last three in the regular season. You left at home watching the conference championship. And now I know they, they did win the Independence Bowl, a good win against an ACC program in Miami, but you want to win that conference championship. All right. And then uh, any, any parting shots that we want to give, uh, not that we want to uh, trounce on, on Miami, but this is becoming the, uh, the uh, conference that has uh, owned Miami, and I, they open up at, at oh, not open up, but start the season at, at UAB. We had Evan Dudley on here a, a couple weeks ago. It would be uh, pretty nice if Conference USA could go uh, three in a row against a, a program as, as storied as Miami. That's not supposed to happen. My, I think Miami's first focus would be getting on the scoreboard. You know, we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. A shutout, you know, people will take a shutout any day. Shutting out a Power 5 opponent, that's it's not... Certainly good. impressive. I mean, they yeah, have the Eric King now, so that should help. Yeah, they should be pretty good. With <laughs> I, I, I would think. I, I, I will say selfishly, as a Rice fan, 
when he went, well, when that 24 hour drama went down, if I'm transferring, no, no, I'm not. I'm just redshirting. I was quietly hoping that he would not be on the field when the uh, <laughs> bucket kicked off this year. And, and yeah. I'm, I'll be happy for him in Miami and all the success he has as long yeah, as it's absolutely. not here. Well, I did, I, I did have want to, we talked a, a little bit. I wanted to hit on the defense a, a little quick before we get into um, our, our lightning round game to, to close things out. You mentioned the, the guys you're losing. I did want to talk a little bit about some of the guys that are, are they're coming back. And, and one name that intrigues me a, a lot is, is Willie Baker on, on the end. He was a guy that I think there was probably fair to say that he had a, a decent amount of expectation coming into last season and, and played pretty well. Didn't get the sack production everybody wanted, but he has the makings of somebody who could vault himself into into becoming one of the, the better edge rushers in, in this conference. Is it is it kind of all on his shoulders? I mean, he's, he's not going to make the defense better by himself, but is, is it fair to say that you know, how he progresses this year could kind of set the tone for, for how seamless this transition can be? From a pass rushing standpoint, I would definitely expect that a lot is going to fall on Willie Baker's shoulders. You know, you go back to 2018 in that Hawaii Bowl, he had four sacks as a redshirt sophomore. So entering his redshirt junior year a year ago, it probably did place some unrealistic expectations. And you mentioned he had a he had a good year last year. It wasn't anything spectacular. I think he led the team in tackles for loss, but he ultimately only had one and a half sacks. Now, this whole offseason, he spent the offseason rehabbing from an ACL injury, which he expected to be ready to go uh, come this fall. But I think the big thing last year from a pass rushing perspective was he made the transition from a 4-3 defensive end to a 3-4 outside linebacker. He had some more responsibility especially in the past game, and it just seemed to – he didn't seem all there mentally. I'm not saying he didn't know how to play the position. It just seemed to slow him down a little bit. I think this year you're going to see Tech get his hand back in the dirt, allow him to do what he does best in rushing the passer, and it's going to be up front uh, on that three-man front with Willie Baker and then on the opposite side, Milton Williams, uh, a guy that had at least six or seven sacks in his sophomore year ago. Uh, I think those two guys are going to be expected to kind of uh, help this defensive line produce more pressure, create more havoc, potentially force more turnovers, and like you said, allow David Blackwell's transition uh, to be more seamless and allow this defense to play at a high level, like kind of you know really like a lot of Tech fans have come to expect, uh, especially in the last two or three years. Yeah, and and you mentioned Milton Williams, and I, and I I'm I'm intrigued because between those. Those two, him and Baker, and then uh, Ezekiel Barnett is the other guy at linebacker um, that that comes to mind. Those are kind of going to be your 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 tone setters, especially when it comes uh, to the run defense, because that that was a spot last year where where Tech was pretty solid. They had a top five run defense in, in Conference USA, and you know basically everybody just played the throw away from a McRobertson card in the air and it worked out pretty well for him, but r- running the ball, like that was something that tech was, was pretty stout again. And, and at least with those kind of pieces coming back, you kind of expect that trend to continue, right? Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned Milton Williams and Ezekiel Barnett. Milton Williams is, he's a six foot five, 275 pound defensive end. He'll play on Sundays in a couple of years. He's the type of player that you won't leave me off the bus, but he's also a player that can really get after it on the football field as well. He's your prototypical 3-4 defensive end. 
uh, can provide some pass rush really good against the run as well. Uh, like you mentioned, I really just continue, I expect him to continue progressing uh, the older and older he gets. And then by the time he leaves Tech here in a couple of years, he's going to be a 10 or 11 sack guy and a guy that, like I said, has a chance to play on Sundays. And then the other guy is Ezekiel Barnett, a guy that was a former walk-on, uh, played special teams his first two years on campus last year, really gets a chance as a, a redshirt junior to make some contributions at outside linebacker. Diaco moved him all around. I think he's he's probably 6'2", 6'3", 220 pounds, and he would line up hand in the dirt defensive end. They'd put him at nose tackle. He could play in coverage. He had the big interception against Abraham to seal that win for Tech. He just does so many different things. Just a winning football player, to be honest with you. Uh, a guy that just makes so many plays that seem to really impact the game in a, in a number of big ways. And uh, a guy that's really been fun for, you know, for me, having been a guy that's been around the program uh, for the last four or five years, to kind of watch him progress from that walk-on standpoint to where not much is expected of you to now being a fifth-year senior a guy that might be a team captain, a guy that's definitely going to be expected uh, to perform at an all-conference level if this defense is going to be, uh, you know, have another quality year like it has in years past. It's fun. You take those guys that, you know, maybe not be, you know, the guys who enter the season at first team all-conference, but uh, you take 11 of them and you're like, we'd win. Like if we just had 11 of oh, them, yeah. like it would be fine. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that's, that's a thing that Tech's had success with for a number of years from a walk-on standpoint. You know, Boston Scott uh, was a thousand-yard rusher here before he ended up being a draft pick. There's just so many different guys that Tech's done a really good job of developing, and I'm not trying to boast Tech up in any way, but that's something that their staff really takes a great deal of pride in is developing players and not only allowing them to get their degree, but developing them for the NFL as well, and I think that's a big reason uh, you've seen this tech program kind of ex- sustain some success for the last six years or so. And I think it's really interesting on, uh, on the on the walk-on front. When when Mike Bloomgren and his staff came to Rice, the, the mentality they brought, and I, I would say this is probably more typical of, of coaching nowadays, that you, you have a recruiting program for, for walk-ons. It, where, you know, yes. you picture back in the day, like Southwestern Conference is like, oh, hey, you know, Bob, you want to come try out? And and they do, and mm. they ride the bench for three years, and then you need somebody to come in and play special teams. Like, that's not how the walk-on programs in, in modern college football, for the most part, work. These these are guys that are that are recruited and specifically sought out to come to campus and, and play. And, you know, Rice last year had a uh, walk-on true freshman center called upon at the end of the season and say, hey, you know, our starting center is hurt, our backup center is sick, we need you to go and start. And anytime you have a walk-on starting at center, you're just like, you know, the the, the alarm bells are going off. Like, oh, we have a problem. Um, yeah. but, you know, he, he got the crash course in the hotel room and Rice won three straight games. So maybe we just need to play all the walk-ons. Um, but, it, yeah. I, you know, it, it's interesting. I just, it's, it, it's, football has changed. And uh, it is really a testament of, of the programs that are able to find and, and get that talent on campus. You know, that's how you discover the Boston Scots and the well, Isaac Clarkowskis. Well, and I think it's important, too, as well as, you know, a lot of times, and, you know, here we are in July, and you already see coaching staffs around the country identifying guys that might be potential walk-ons. And 
we're not even close to signing day at this point. But, you know, walk-ons bring a lot to a program, and they can really contribute from a, especially from a work ethic standpoint, pushing some of those guys, not allowing some of the scholarship guys to get complacent. I think that, you know, that's important in building winning programs, especially at a, you know, I would say at a G5 level, like a Tech, like a Rice, is you have to have those four or five guys every year that not only are good football players, but they've came in and they've earned their spots, and those are certainly good stories to tell as well. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Those those scholarship you know promo videos that that always get filmed every year. Usually, I, I guess at the beginning of spring practice, we had a, a guy last year converted running back or converted linebacker Ari Broussard, well former high school running back, converted linebacker, moved back to running back for fall camp or spring camp because we were out of bodies. Leads the team in rushing in the spring game, goes in the locker room, and they <laughs> tell him he's got a scholarship. That's it's what like it's all the, about. Like that's a college football. Like you just don't get that anywhere else. Yep, that's what it's all about. So it's really neat, and uh, we want to before we get into actually, let's just jump right in. We got the lightning around. I, I prepped you a little bit beforehand. Uh, everything you you say will be held on to forever, and we will bring up at the end of the season and keep score. Let's um, do it. There's right answers, wrong answers, and everything in between. So. <laughs> Uh, we'll start you off easy with the first question. Is the 2020 football season going to start on time? Right now, you say yes. Right now, yes. Are there going to be fans in the stands? Uh, I believe it will be limited capacity. I would say mainly at the Power 5 level. I don't think uh, too many CSA programs are having issues with uh, overflowing attendance. <laughs> Not the first person to say that. I'll say that. Um, and then on the tech front, who's going to lead the team in touchdowns from the offense? Justin Henderson. That, that seems like an easy slam dunk. And then on the other side, uh, this might be a bit more challenging. Who's going to lead the team in sacks? <sighs> Let's say Willie Baker. Let's say he bounces back from the ACL injury. Uh, nine and a half sacks in the season. Oh, you're going to put a number on it, too. Why not 10? Not going to round up? We're just going nine and a half. Nine and a half. I like it. All right. So uh, for posterity, we're taking Louisiana Tech out of this. If Tech doesn't win the West this year, who does? Man, I can't say UAB. Uh, I got <laughs> too bitter about those guys. Wait, so who's who's off the list before we start? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. Is this UTEP by default? <laughs> So I'm going to go with UAB. Uh, I'll give Bill Clark a tremendous amount of credit. He's, he's done a fantastic job in Birmingham. And I know, you know, for quite some time, we, we can attribute to having some older players on his roster, but it's not the prettiest style of football, but they really win year in and year out. And, uh, if, it, if it's not going to be tough, I think the Blazers win the West. Well, yeah, and last year was supposed to be the rebuilding year when they lost all those guys, and they did it again. Exactly crazy all right if uh if louisiana tech doesn't win conference usa as a whole is it going to uab uab or is it going to be uh your pick from the east um let's say let's say charlotte let's say will healy surprises some folks wow from six wins to conference championship I, not a hotter name in college coaching if, if not uh, at all. that is the case he will be out of Charlotte. At the end he, of the he will season. crowd surf his way over his players <laughs> into the Bahamas. Yes. 
He's fun to talk to, man. All right. And then uh, realignment question. Are Rice and Louisiana Tech in the same conference in 2025? That's five years from now. Mom. Say no. No. Interesting. Any uh, conspiracy theories of, of where we're going to end up, if not together? I don't know. I, I, I will say this. I don't think that I don't think the Conference USA and the Sun Belt ever have some sort of merger. That's not to say that some of those schools won't end up in the same league. But I would, I don't know. Tech, Tech and Rice might end up in the same league, especially uh, if the AAC had some openings. Uh, of course, Houston's already down in that area, and I'm not sure uh, how that impacts Rice. I'm not sure Tulane's is too big of a fan of the Bulldogs joining the AAC as well. But if if the two were in the same league, it would be in the AAC. Uh, but I, I see Conference USA in it. I'm not sure we're still here in 2025 as a league. Where do I sign? I'll I'll take that. If you could tell me right now that we both bump up to the AAC. I'll take it for sure. That would be nice. And I, I think it's interesting just from the geographic perspective because that's, you know, kind of the bus that's driving all this right now. Like Rice and Louisiana Tech, like it's not too bad of a drive from, from Houston to, to Ruston only a couple hours. So. Yeah, I think the big thing, too, for those two programs is, you know, when they play one another, you know, whether it's in baseball or football or basketball, like you said, it's not a, not a tough trip, but I think the key will be uh, that they're both taking, you know, flights to Houston. You know, if you want to take that upper echelon, you have to take it uh, financially as well. Yeah, and that is a whole different conversation, but we will uh, close things out. Last question. So, uh, Skip Holtz, uh, over under one and a half more years at Louisiana Tech for Holtz. I'd say over. I think I think he's here for the long haul. I think we're going to see Holtz spend. Was he in her year eight? I think yeah. he spent fifteen years in Ruston. Really? So this is the uh, the the Doc Holiday extended tenure never leave situation. I think I think he ends his career as perhaps probably the second best coach in program history. Which is interesting because this is this will be the longest time he's ever been at one spot, I believe. Correct. That's correct. He, I think he's surpassed that by now. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm pulling up looking right now. Five years at, at South Carolina as an assistant. But man, I only realized five years at East Carolina. He kind of feels like yeah, that's kind of how most people identify him pre-tech, right? But mm-hmm. only yep. five years there. Wow, has he really been at Tech that long? He's going on year eight. Uh, <sighs> and has brought some stability to the program, which has been welcome. It, it'll really be interesting to see, you know, if Tech is unable to get over that hump. At, at what point do bowl games become not enough? Kind of like what happened with Jeff Bauer at Southern Miss. Do you take that risk to shoot your shot as an interim coach, or do you continue to allow Holtz to win eight, nine, ten games a year and really do it for, you know, like I said, for 15 years? It's a pretty long list of CUSA teams that if you guaranteed them averaging eight wins a year with ten wins every couple years, they would they would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and talking all things Louisiana Tech. I, I know for me, it's nice to actually just talk football and not everything else uh, that's been going on in the world for uh, a while. But 
Uh, before we get you out of here, uh, where can we uh, follow you and you guys and what you're doing over at Blue Tech Blue? Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at Blue Tech Blue. You can come join us at the website, bluetechblue.com. It's only nine ninety five a month. Of course, you know, we're centrally focused on Louisiana Tech and uh, really, you know, all different aspects of the university. Obviously, we're covering uh, football and basketball, recruiting a great deal this summer as well. So come on over and join us. We'd love to have you. Let's keep him busy. Well, we uh, appreciated you having you on. We will uh, let you get back to things and uh, rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.